May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Lots of prophets in our readings today. A reading from the prophet Isaiah and a reading which you could say is from the prophet Zechariah, reading the gospel reading from, from Luke today in which Zechariah was speaking about his son John and speaking a prophecy about his newly born child and speaking about this child himself being a prophet. So today in our church's calendar, we are remembering some local prophets, prophets from the Taranaki, Te Fiti o Rongomai and Tohu Kākaki. Tohu Kākahi. And there was another one amongst that mix. His name was Ti Toku Waru. And all three of them were eventually... Uh, arrested and taken away to prison. I'm going to tell a little bit of their story today, but I also want to talk about the whole business of being a prophet. So one of the ideas that people have of a prophet is that they are someone who can tell the future. And in uh, the early Māori prophetic movements, before any Europeans arrived in this country, there was certainly that sense that the prophet the tohunga who was the prophet was the one who could uh, see, the matakite, the one who could see things, and the one who had uh, important things to tell the community. And that's certainly the way it was in the Old Testament, and to a certain degree what Zechariah was talking about when he spoke about his son John, who we came to know as John the Baptist. People who were given God's insight to say what might happen and what would happen if the people didn't pay attention to what God was calling them to. The other thing that prophets were, were simply the mouthpiece of God. And in both of our prophecies that we heard read today, one of the things that the mouthpieces of God were doing was giving God's reassurance, God's hope, God's promises for the way that life would continue and that life was to be abundant and that good things were coming. So a prophet didn't only tell something that hadn't, yet, hadn't happened yet, but the prophet reminded people of what it was that God was saying to them when they weren't listening. One of the things that was really important for a prophet, both in the Old and New Testament times and for Māori, was that business of listening. Indeed, at the end of the reading which Jim read for us today, Isaiah says, Here am I. Here am I, God. In Hebrew, Hineni. And some of you will know one of Leonard Cohen's songs where he sings over and over Hineni. Here I am. I am ready. I am attentive to you. In the history of Māori prophets, as I said, begat, there was a, a prophetic tradition before the Europeans came, but when they arrived in these islands, uh, the message of the Bible brought some more models of prophecy. And Māori interaction with Christian missionaries um, therefore had an influence on the, the prophetic movements which followed their arrival. 
And there's a great list of Māori prophets in that era. And if you go to Tiara, which is an online encyclopedia, you'll find um, Judith Binney has written a big, long uh, piece about all of the Māori prophets, and it's a great thing if you're interested to go and have a look at. And Te Whiti Mai and Tohu Kākahi were prophets in this kind of line of succession from both the Māori tradition and from the Hebrew and Christian tradition. They identified with the plight of the people of Jesus' time who were under the yoke of the Roman occupation. They identified with those parts of the Jewish history where the people were under the yoke of Egypt or Assyria or Babylon. There was this identification with an outside power coming in and taking away their sense of rangatiratanga. Te Fiti Orongomai and Tohu Kākahi's response to this was to take the message of the gospel of peace and the Māori tradition of te hōhauranga, or the reconciliation or spreading of peace, and to teach their communities to live in that way. There was a settlement called Repanga, um, under the shadow of Taranaki, and they established a pacifist community there called Parihaka. This name, this new name for the settlement, recalled somehow the lamentations of the people. I've looked that up because I'm really interested in, in where words come from, and I couldn't find any of the etymology of Parihaka, the word, to tell me where that came from, but I just know from the stories that are told that Parihaka was a word that allied with that kind of sense of lamentation about land being taken and the heart being taken from the people. As land confiscation happened in the Taranaki, these folks who lived at Parihaka sought to have a response that was not a response of bloodshed, that was not a response of violence. And so wherever the government people went and staked out land and to show that it had been taken, they went out and they pulled up the stakes and they put their own fences up and they ploughed the land. They turned swords into ploughshares. And those who were on the other side would come along and arrest people doing this and take them away, and always there were more who came and joined those who were at Parihaka not just the locals, but people from far and wide. Eventually, Parihaka was the largest Māori community in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and a wonderfully open community to the technology of all different um, ethnicities and cultures. They had gas lighting in their streets, and they had a, um, a huge bakery and uh, they used all the possibilities of creating the best model of Christian peaceful community they could. But at the heart of what they were about was living and relating to the land which both belonged to them and to which they belonged. You've heard me talk about we need to know who we are and whose we are. Well, they knew that they belonged to God, but they also knew that they belonged to the land. And so they were there to hold the sovereignty or the rangatiratanga of that land and by doing that also their own rangatiratanga. 
Again and again they went out and ploughed the land whenever it was surveyed again. And again and again people were arrested and taken away. And eventually John Bryce decided enough was enough. And on the 4th, or in the days leading up to the 4th of November, troops were gathered and militia from the surrounding areas. And on that night, they were all ranged up on the hill above Parihaka with cannonry ready to attack in the morning. What did the people of Parihaka do? They baked bread. And in the morning, the women and the children went out to bring bread to the approaching soldiers and to sing songs of welcome. It's said that the night before, as everybody was wide awake, no one was sleeping, those in Parihaka saw a dog walking from Parihaka through the soldiers up to the hill where the cannon was. Nobody on the hill saw the dog, so we don't know what kind of dog it might have been. And they saw this kuri urinate on the cannon. And in the morning, when John Bryce's men attempted to light the cannon, nothing doing. It wouldn't spark. I wonder whether perhaps this is a much better story to be celebrating at this time of year rather than the failure to set off gunpowder on the other side of the world. But in spite of all of this, the soldiers arrived and did violence to the people of Parihaka, arrested those of the men who were sitting in the streets of Parihaka and set fire to their buildings. And Te Fiti and Tohu were taken away and eventually we know imprisoned down near Dunedin and kept without trial for more than a year. In spite of this day, which is known as the day of plunder for the people of Parihaka, the people did not give up. They continued to remember those words of prophecy spoken in their midst and enacted in their midst to not meet evil with evil, but meet evil with good. So they rebuilt, and Tefiti and Tohu came back, and Tefiti was arrested again in 1886, and he returned, and together they continued the work of Parihaka. It might not have been famous in New Zealand, but we know that it was famous beyond our shores. In 2003, Parihaka was visited by an international delegation of representatives of Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, and Daisaku Ikeda, a Japanese peace movement. They came to posthumously recognize the contribution of Tohu and Te Whiti to the cause of peace. And it said that the path taken by them, Tohu and Te Whiti, inspired Gandhi in his nonviolent resistance campaigns both in South Africa and India. Tefiti and Tohu died in 1907. It wasn't till really the 1970s that 
the story began to be told beyond Parihaka. 1975, Dick Scott published his seminal book, Ask That Mountain. Who's read that book? A few of us. Um, I've got some of the story on these panels over here, and on this panel you can see on the right-hand side, it's the book of the cover. I remember reading it. It was quite, um, wasn't an easy read, uh, but, but reminded us of what had happened and that story that had been kept alive by those people. But not only the story, but the will to carry on enacting the message of peace and reconciliation and love. Love for one another, love for those beyond them, love for the land. Indeed, it's said that Tefiti wrote, this settlement is to be by Europeans and Māori alike. Tefiti could see the possibilities. We're still learning what those possibilities might be. In 2017, our government finally gave an official apology to the people of Parihaka. The Crown signed a reconciliation package with the Parihaka Papakainga Trust, and in October 2019, the Parihaka Reconciliation Bill passed its third reading in Parliament and became law. I know many members of the public who also travelled to Parihaka to take um, part in a reconciliation process where they were able to speak on behalf of their ancestors who had had a part to play in the day of plunder. Back in 1989, Tim Finn wrote a song which many of us will have sung along to about Parihaka. This year, Don McGlashan has written a song. His song is called John Bryce about the anti-hero of Parihaka Day. And one of his lines says, let's put a new guy on the bonfire. Light up John Bryce on the 5th of November. Make it Parihaka Day. Now, I don't actually think Tefiti or Tohu would agree with that kind of action because they did not want to return violence for violence. They sought in all that they did and said to return good for evil, to seek to see the best in others, to make space even for those who make it hard for us to make space for them, to be available to God. Hineni, here am I, here are we. We are ready to be the mouthpiece of God, not only in our words, but in our actions. To show not only signs of warning and challenge, but also signs of reconciliation, reassurance, and peace. Let us today be listening to the way that God is speaking peace and love into our hearts, into our souls into our situations and be ready and willing, even at our own cost, to share that love and reconciliation and peace with others. Amen.